Amen. All right. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Lord willing, we're going to look at the last few verses of chapter 7 and move into chapter 8. So. I'm going, to read, uh, I'm going to read verse 12 first, and then I'll read the rest of the verses here in a minute. But 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12, says, Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. And... You know, if you remember, we were talking, we've been talking about this letter that, that Paul had sent to the Corinthian church. And, you know, I think it's interesting that what he tells us here in verse 12, he says, I didn't write it for the person who had done the wrong. And he said, I wrote it, basically, he said, I wrote it for you as the church. And I think it's important that we understand he didn't write it for the one member that had done the wrong, but he was writing to the church. He didn't want the church at Corinth. And I want you to you know, think about this. He didn't want the church at Corinth to become a disgrace in the sight of God. And you say, well, how could that happen? Well, if they wouldn't have dealt with the things that were going on in the church at that time, I mean, they would have been in direct violation of God's word and God's wishes for the church. I mean, it's, and they would have been a disgrace in the sight of God. And Paul was concerned about the church. He was concerned about the church in its entirety. You know, not just certain individuals. And, you know... You may say, well, that doesn't sound right. Maybe Paul wasn't showing the love to the one who'd done the wrong uh, or the sin and to the one who had suffered. Now, there was, there was two parties in this. And, you know, if, you, if, you, if you read about this, there was not only the one person who had committed the sin and was committing the sin or had committed the sin, but there was another member in the church who had been wronged as well, as I read. So, so there was two people involved, one who had suffered and one who had sinned as well. But the whole church you know, was suffering because of it, okay? And, you know, but it's not true that Paul didn't care about those two people. That's not the case. But what he was concerned about, you know, I think we're missing the point if we think that he wasn't concerned about those people. That he, he was concerned about them, but he also had a much bigger concern. He had a concern for the church. And because the church of Corinth was part of the church of Jesus Christ, Okay, the church at Corinth, just like RGT, is made up of a group of believers. Not just, it's not just about one or two people. It's about a body. We're, we're a body of believers. We're a group of people. And the group matters. And, you know, one individual part of the body cannot be allowed to disrupt or damage the body as a whole. I mean, and that's what, that's what you know, to me, that's part of what Paul's telling us here. And not that we don't care, but I mean, he, but he had a much larger concern. And I know I'm repeating myself, but his concern was for the church. You know, our concern should be for the church. I mean, we're concerned about each other, but I know from a pastor's standpoint, that's different from, than from maybe from a member's standpoint, but really as members, and if we're in any kind of, I would just say leadership, whether we are or not, doesn't matter. If we're part of the body of Christ, we should be concerned about RGT as well as the larger body, the body of Christ. We should be concerned. Yes, it does. It does. Yes, it does. So, you know, uh, in Paul's day, I mean, that was the case, okay, in Paul's day. But let's be very sure 
and very clear that that's still the case today. I mean, if there's things that are going on, I mean, we, we all have a responsibility, okay? Now, we're not supposed to be, I'll just say this and move on. We're not supposed to be getting into everybody's business, okay? What I'm saying is if there's something that is blatantly going on within the church that's wrong, we should all be concerned about it, okay? We should all be concerned about it. That's right. That's right. And we should be aware of that. I mean, we should. So the thing is, time doesn't change God's expectations for the church. Okay? God had expectations for the Corinthian church, and time doesn't change that. God still has expectations for the church. Okay? RGT, which is part of the church, okay? But the overall. And, you know, Paul even Paul tells us back in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, he said, for the body is not one member, but many. So we, I mean, we're, we're, we should be concerned about each other. We should care, and, uh, but we are, we've got to keep in mind, it's, it's not about one or two of us, it's about all of us. And so it's about him, number one, okay? So I hope that, I hope that makes sense. So I'm going to move on unless anybody has a comment. I'm going to read the last uh, few verses of the chapter. So verse 13 says, Therefore we were comforted, in your comfort, yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. For I have boasted any for if I have boasted anything to him of you, I am not ashamed, but as we spake all things to you in truth, even so our boasting, which I made before Titus, is found a truth. And his inward affection is more abundant towards you. Whilst he remembered the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling ye received him. I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. You know, and I, and I think it's interesting how, you know, I talked about, we talked about how the Apostle Paul just really opened his heart, and then you, you hear what, the, how, what a comfort, what a, what a uh, I don't know, the reinforcement's not the word I'm looking for, but what, a, what a, uh, a help it was to him to hear when, it was, when the news was brought back, you know, from Titus, what he told him of the church. I mean, it, it was a, it was, this was a, you say, well, what's the big deal? It was a big deal because the, the future of the church relied on how they dealt with this. I mean, if they wouldn't have dealt with this problem, the church more than likely could have very well crumbled. I mean, and, and also, not only that, we're not, I know we're not in this thing for what people, what they see and what they think, but in a sense, we are. Back to what Gail said, I mean, we, we are a witness, okay? I mean, we, we have to be a witness. So it does matter how we live, and it does matter, if you know, what people say about, you know, if somebody's talking bad about our church, I would be offended. I mean, you know, I mean, I would be troubled, number one, but I would be offended, not that I would lash out at that person, but I would be bothered for sure and want to know, is, is it true, <laughs> You know, or is it just something that's 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 being said that's not that there's not any grounds to it? So Paul was was definitely relieved. That's the word I was trying to think of. He was relieved. I think he was strengthened. I think he was renewed in the fact that they had taken care of things, and that's what he's telling us here in these verses. So um, if I would have looked at my notes, I would have seen the word relief. I wrote it down. Um, so we see the relief that Paul had from the news that Titus brought to him. The relief and the comfort of knowing the believers at Corinth that they were dedicated to Christ. That's really what it comes down to. I mean, when, you know, when, when it's all said and done, 
I can, I can come to church on Sunday and I can try to stand up here and, and try to share the word, you know, God's word on Sunday mornings or whatever. But if I'm not dedicated to him truly, deep down in my heart, I'm kind of wasting my time. I mean, I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest with you. I mean, so, I mean, he, he knew that, that based on the actions that, that the believers had done at Corinth, that they were dedicated to Christ. And, you know, when you read these verses, Paul had evidently told Titus prior to him going to the, to the Corinthian church, he had evidently told them things that he felt like these believers, that they were good people, that they were solid, that they were grounded. And, um, you know, it, it came true. I'm sure Titus... <laughs> You know, Paul, no doubt, told him all the things that were going on at the church, and then, then he says, now, if you would, go down there and visit those folks and let me know how things are going. Well, I'm sure there was a lot of apprehension, a lot of concern from Titus's part about, well, you know what, how are they going to receive me? What are they going to think of me when I come here? Because they know I'm coming to carry a message back to Paul. So, I mean, he had to, he had to, be, he had to be sure, too, that what they were telling him was real. I mean, they could have put on a, not that they would have, but they could have put on a front, you know, to where and he could have carried the false news back, but that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case. So, you know, I think they received him in brotherly love, knowing that he, like I said, that he was going to go back and report back to Paul. And Paul's hope all along was that the, for the Corinthian church to stand on God's word, to uphold it, to grow from the problems they had, and to move forward in their service for Christ. I mean, that was, that was his hope, and that's what they did. That's what they did. So, I think in verse 16, we see his confidence in them that it was renewed. And he says, therefore, I have confidence in you in all things. And, you know, I think Titus, I think this was a help to him as well, because I think this was something he could see that, you know what, people do have a, they do have a love for the Lord, you know, they, they do care, and I think it was a help to him as well, because I think he wanted to see, um, he wanted to see the church revived as well. I mean, he wanted to see the church revived, I think, as well. So I don't know if anybody has any comments or on that or not. It goes, it goes individually as well, right? I mean, whether it's something that's broad or not, I mean, that goes for us individually and personally as well, for sure. So, anybody else? All right. Well, if not, I'm going to. We'll move to chapter 8. Some of you may be happy and some of you may be sad. I don't know. So, but we're, Lord willing, we're going to chapter 8. So, um, seriously, in, in the first seven chapters of 2 Corinthians that we've studied, you know, I think Paul has talked to us about, about different things, but to me, sort of the, the overarching idea and the overarching message that he's had for us is is talking to us about God's comfort, how God's comfort strengthens us and helps us in our Christian life. I mean, I think that's, a, that's a, uh, something that's repeated over and over when we go through and look back at these first seven chapters. And the knowledge that we've got a helper in our Christian life, and our helper is, is, is God Almighty, is the Holy Spirit for those of us that are saved. So once we get to chapter 8, we kind of move to another subject, and chapters eight and nine deal with Christian giving. Okay, from what I can, from what I can, what I've read and studied thus far, and uh, 
J. Vernon McGee said this. He said, the subject changes from Christian living in chapters 1 through 7 to Christian giving in chapters 8 and 9. And he went on to say that, and I like this, he said, giving is as vital a part as living. Think about that, you know, and I, and I really, I, I kind of sunk in with me, and I, and I thought about that, and I thought how true that is. I mean, if, if, if we're not given anything in this walk, in our relationship with the Lord, then we're really not living for him. You know, I mean, if it's not, if it's not costing us a little something, a little, you know, whether it's time, I'll just say it, money, I mean, whatever it is, whatever the case might be, if, if it's not costing us a little bit of something, then we're probably really not living, I'll say not living to the point to where he wants us to be, to the level that he wants us to get to. Is that fair? <laughs> he took my, he took my, my line. <laughs> Somewhere in there I had it. <laughs> Might not be for today, but I did see that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So he said, it, like I said, it, it, giving is as vital a part as living. And he went on to say that these two, two chapters, in his opinion, kind of Tom kind of touched on this as well, give us the most extended and complete section on Christian giving that we have in the scriptures. Man, that, that says a lot. That says, if, you know, if we... We look at these two chapters and spend time in, and we should understand what it is God's expectations are around for us to give. Um, and he even said, and I quoted this, I wrote this down, actually, all we need to know is here. Now, you can say that, I mean, that goes for the whole God's word, right? But for those two chapters, all we need to know is here. So, so kind of look at, we'll start kind of looking at the first six verses in, in chapter eight. And I'll read those in a minute, but... Um, these first six, I want us to think about this before I read these. This is kind of to give us the example of what Christian giving is. Okay, And Paul's going to give us an example of this here in these first six verses. So um, I'll, read, I'll read verses one through six. It says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. So the word grace, and Tom kind of touched on this, the word grace is used in verse 1, in verse 4, and in verse 6. Now in verse 4, the word that's used is gift, okay? But in sense, it's, it's a grace. Giving is a grace. And maybe we'll kind of talk about that here a little bit. But... Um, What's being shared with us in these two chapters is truly the grace of giving, okay? And um, it is the grace of God. I mean, Paul's, Paul goes on and calls it that giving is a grace, okay? That's basically what he's telling us here. And it's, listen to this. I like what this, I saw this somewhere. It said, it's a disposition 
that is created in us by the Spirit of God. So number one, I mean, we're talking about believers here, okay? We're not, you know, Paul's not talking to the, to the worldly folks. He's talking to us as the church, okay? But you think about that. It's a disposition that's given to us as believers, that's created in us by the Spirit of God. So Paul's telling the Corinthians, he's saying, look, he said, the Macedonians have this kind of grace, and he's hoping that the Corinthians will have that same kind of grace. That's what he's, that's what he's hoping for. And now you may say, well, I thought the, the definition of grace is unmerited favor of God toward mankind. It is, okay? But that unmerited favor of God toward mankind, you know, the thing I thought about as I sat and tried to study this, it really runs really, really deep. I mean, God's, I mean, you think about that. His unmerited favor towards us, we say, you know, and no doubt about salvation, okay? But it runs so much deeper than just salvation. I mean, that's the most important thing. I mean, you want to be saved, no doubt. But it covers a whole lot more territory than just salvation. His grace does. I mean, so, I mean, the grace of God covers everything for the believer. When we, I mean, when you think about it. I mean, we say, I thought about this, we say we live, um, that we will live for God by his grace. Okay, and that's true, that's true. But this grace of giving that we're talking about requires us not to just receive it from God, but to desire and be driven to share it with others. I mean, that's, that's what Paul's, he wants to lay the example out here for us. So, um, we talked about the Greeks a few weeks ago when we, were, we went in and spent a little bit of time at the beginning of the book of Luke before Christmas, if you remember. And I thought it was interesting. The Greeks, you know, they, they were all about the study. Remember, we talked about this, how they wanted to know, they wanted to understand. They, wanted, they were looking for the perfect man, okay? They, they missed Christ. A lot of them did. Some of them found him, but a lot of them missed him. But they were, they were always looking for the perfect man. They wanted the perfect person. And from what I read, they actually, they kind of looked at the word grace Kind of like, I don't know if you want to say three graces or just three levels of grace, okay? If I can kind of use that example. And when they looked at that, they said, well, there was, there was good grace, there was fine grace, and there was noble grace, okay? I mean, I, I, this, it's amazing how God, how he uses men, you know, and man's practices to then turn things and say, well, look here, but here's my example, and mine is the perfect one, of course, but... Um, but you think about the Greeks, and what, what was it about the Greeks? They wanted to push things. What they thought, they were, they were sure that what their thinking was the perfect thinking, and they wanted everybody to embrace that, right? Shouldn't that be the way that we are as believers? I don't care what the world says. God's word says if, we're, if, if we love him, that we'll confess him before men, not allow and not, not, not back off. I mean, right? I mean, and I thought, shouldn't I, shouldn't I, I'll just make it personal, shouldn't I have the same desire? I mean, they wanted to, they were missionary-minded people. They were missionary-minded from a worldly perspective. I mean, they wanted more, they wanted more territory, they wanted more culture, they wanted more people to think like them. Um, that's what they wanted. And they wanted to press it upon others, push it upon others. And I thought, you know, shouldn't I be the, should not be the same way to do it with the gospel. It should be important to me or to us personally and corporately as a church, as far as that goes, 
to share with others, to share the gospel with others, to impress upon them the love of Christ. I mean, that's, that's what we're here for, is it not? But, and I think how God is, you know, I, I didn't write this down, but I just thought as I read this how that God has given us so many examples of mankind over the years, the culture, the world, whatever you want to call it, and yet for us to take and, and utilize those tools, if I can put it that way, or utilize those practices, and he's saying, look, if they're pushing their ideas and their ways, I've given you the gospel and I've given you the book of tools right here. You need to do what I'm at. You know, you need to be impressed. You need to impress. You need to be excited about this thing. You want to push it. And, uh, you know, I don't care what the world says about, you know, you people, you're pushy, whatever. That's not godly, okay? That's not what, that's not what, I mean, the world has that view. Of course they do. But God wants us, he wants us to witness. He wants us to share God's word. He wants us to help people understand that they need Jesus Christ as their Savior. I mean, he, that's what he wants us to do. So, um, so it's important personally and corporately. And um, J. Vernon McGee said this. I'm quoting him a lot, but I, I studied, you can tell, I studied a lot of what I was reading and studying kind of came from him. Um, the grace of God, listen to what he says here, the grace of God is the passion of God to share all his goodness with others. I mean, you think about that. When it comes right down to it, that's what his desire is. He wants, number one, everybody to be saved. And once you're saved, what does he want? He wants to share more of his goodness with us as believers. That's what he wants. And that's his passion. I mean, I, I just liked, I liked what he, how he put that. And grace means that God wants to bestow upon you and me, us as believers, good things, goodnesses. Um, he wants to make you fine and noble. And you say, well, how's he going to do that? He wants to make us more like his son. I mean, that's how. And that's, that's the true grace that he wants to share with us. Um, but the fact that he has the passion is what I kept coming back to. The passion of God to share with us. But he wants to share himself with us. I mean, I think that's amazing. So. Yes. 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 Yep. And I, I tell you, I, I, I y'all pray for me because I want to do better. You know, I mean, that's something that the Lord has worked on. I mean, he's just, he's just in the back of my mind, I just, and probably all of us. Maybe we all. I mean, I don't know. I can't speak for you. I can only speak for myself. But to seize those opportunities when they come. I mean, so many times I, I think about it, and then, and then when those opportunities come, they, it seems like they, they come and go in a matter of seconds, and I miss them. You know, and then I'm, and then I'm frustrated. And I think, you know, Lord, I, I, I got to do better. I got to do better because... And that's the only way we're going to do it is with his help. But, I mean, I think, too, uh, and I don't know, you, you all know, I, I, just, I'm just, I just tell you what, I, I don't hold much back. I'm just, you know, I'm not going to get real personal, but, I mean, if I feel something like it's, it's from the Lord, I'll share it with you. And, and I just feel like it just comes back down to how dedicated am I? I mean, how dedicated am I to really want to share the gospel with people. I mean, and, and I, I got to be more dedicated. I mean, that's how it's going to happen. So, anyway, I, I, 
well, yeah, maybe, Dorothy. And then maybe you look at me and say, man, you, you really do need to step it up. <laughs> anyway. So, that's true. Which even more we should want to share it with them, right? Because we're giving them the truth that they don't have. If they're lost, they don't have that truth. So, um, so grace means that God wants to, he wants to bestow upon us, like I said, the good things, the goodnesses, the things that make us fine, to make us better, basically. And he wants us to bring it to the likeness of his son. I, mean, I think I already said that. But if you turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, it's a couple pages over. Verses 8 and 9. Very familiar scripture here. This is what it says. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So through the gift of God, his gift of grace, all mankind has the opportunity to be saved. Right? Everybody. Everybody has the opportunity to be saved. And it's his gift. He gave that gift. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. Okay? And the, when I got saved, I exercised that gift of grace that God offered me that, that day, okay? I mean, that's the only way we're going to be saved, is if we accept his gift of Jesus Christ as our Savior. So God's desire is to give his grace to everybody through his son, Jesus Christ, okay? Would you all agree with me? But here's the key point in all of this. God is giving, Okay? God's giving. God's, been, God's giving to me right now. I mean, when I got out of bed this morning, God gave me the strength, the, the being able to think clear, to get up out of bed and, I mean, to go, right? He's giving. God has given. And God continues to give. Okay? We are to give to others what we've been given. That's what we're supposed to do. I mean, that's, that's what his word teaches us. That's what he wants us to do. So... We're talking, we're talking financial giving, okay, it's kind of where he's, he's focused here, but it goes broader than that, okay, and I'll touch more on that maybe as we get farther into this. But, so we're to give to the church and to the body of Christ as God leads us because he wants us to support monetarily what? What do we give to the church? Anybody? What do we give to the church? I'm talking about money. Why do we give money to the church? To support the church, but, but what's the purpose? What's the true purpose? So we can get the gospel. I mean, that's the bottom line, is it not? I mean, yes, I want to come here, and it's nice to come here and be warm, right? I don't have to wear my coat and all that stuff. We do give for that. But the primary purpose that we give, money, God tells us to. But the purpose, though, should be to further the gospel of Christ, right? That should be the, that should be the purpose. So, um, lost my place. So we're to give as he leads us because he wants us to support monetarily the efforts, like I said, to spread the gospel. Now, Paul wrote this. If we go back to, to where, I'm at, where we are here in, in uh, chapter 8 of verse 1, Paul wrote this at a certain time in history, okay? And the Jerusalem church was struggling, okay, at this time. That's why he wrote this. And the church was being persecuted. Okay, the gospel, as we know, began at Jerusalem. And Tom, you and Josh can correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of let me hear me out here a little bit. I mean, Jesus told the disciples that they were to be witnesses first at Jerusalem, did he not? I mean, that's where it was supposed to start. 
And then when persecution came, they went out, right? They went out to other places. So as a result of that, when they were driven out, the persecution came. What happened to the church? The church was weakened, and the church was struggling in Jerusalem. The church was struggling financially. So Paul said, look, we need to, there, needs to be a, there needs to be a collection given. There needs to be money you know, provided to the church, to the, the home church, so to speak. So um, because of this, the other churches were being urged to give. So there was a specific situation, okay, that Paul's telling us about here in chapter 8, okay? That specific situation has passed, okay? That was a point in history, and it's passed. But the principles that he's laying out for us here in these verses, they still apply to the church today, to us as believers today. They still apply. He's laying down the groundwork, the principles for us that we're to follow, okay? Um, we as believers should have a deep desire to support the church that we attend. I mean, we should have a deep desire to do that. I mean, that's just, that's, that's God's word. That's what, he's, that's what he wants. And, um, and to support the church, which is all in, all the body of Christ. So, um, so verse 1, verse 1 says this. I'm going to go back and read this again. It says, moreover, brethren, and I'm back in, in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So, verse 1 identifies, specifically says, the churches of Macedonia. And, and you know, I thought about, before I get too far in this, as I was looking at the, I kind of pulled up a couple of my, my study Bibles that have maps in the back, and I was looking. I mean, I tell you, it is totally amazing to me when you look at the journeys that the Apostle Paul went on, I mean, one thing, I mean, it is just truly amazing the, the area, the territory that he covered at that time. I mean, he didn't have a, I mean, I'm not, I mean, he didn't have the means of transportation. It's amazing. And not only did he make one trip, he made three. I mean, if you've never looked, it's amazing. Go ahead, Tom. I thought she's going to say something. Uh, I mean, it's amazing. And I think, <laughs> how much effort am I putting forth? Anyway, so, but with that being said, so, so these churches at Macedonia, they weren't, where I'm trying to get to is this, they weren't like they were just down the road from Jerusalem. They weren't. They were across the sea. They were across, they were a great distance away. But anyway, these churches... When he talks about the churches of Macedonia, they're talking about Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, and maybe some other ones, but I think those are probably the three major ones that we think of when we think in terms of reading the Bible and, and ones that are mentioned. And it's, it's important to note in this verse 1, he says, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches, okay? It's important for us to note that verse 1 doesn't focus on men, and it's not giving praise to men. Okay, it's not. What's Paul telling us here? Paul says, we want you to know the grace of God that was bestowed on these churches. Paul says he wants us to see the good that God has produced or wrought in them because of their generous giving. Now, granted, they had a part, okay, but because God had moved in such a way upon them, I mean, they loved the Lord. That's why they gave 
like they, like they gave. And I haven't kind of gotten into that quite yet. But um, God had blessed them and those that, that they were sharing with, I mean, in just, in just a mighty way. So he's using them as an example to say, look, look at the churches at Macedonia as the example when it comes to when we talk about trying to give and, and give support to the church. Um, I thought again about what, what J. Vernon McGee said about this passion, that God has a passion to share all his goodness with others. You know, I, I still think that's an overwhelming thought. What, what prevents him from doing that? That's it. That's it. Nobody else. Nobody else. Nobody prevents it, and nobody allows us other than ourselves. I mean, that's just a, to me, that's just a, one of those moments you just kind of sit and ponder, I think, for a long time. But um, in, uh, there's, a, there's a writer named Oliver Green, and I want to read something to you that he wrote, and it's this kind of really kind of hit me, but uh, kind of along these verses as I was studying, he said this. He said, some Christians do not receive more out of their Christianity because they do not put more into it. Now listen to what he goes on to say. They live on the borderline. They want just enough grace to stay out of hell, but they are not willing to surrender completely to God. Is that not sad? I mean, that's a, but is that not something for kind of like something to kind of chew on and think, you know, how, where am I at in that? You know, what, how am I thinking about, about that? But I just thought that's not where... That's not where God wants us to be as believers. That's not why he sent his son to die for us. That's not why he gave us salvation so that we can just kind of like live over here on the fringe, close to the world, but still say we're saved. That's not what he wants. That's not what he wants. But um, again, he's got this passion to share with us. And it's up to me to decide how much of his goodness I want to receive. I mean, it truly is. It's up to me to decide that. And um, we hit Second Peter chapter one. I want to I want to read these real quick, and then I'll I'll quit. But Second Peter chapter one, um, verses one through eight. I want to think about these verses. What Peter tells us here. Verse one, he says, "Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ." Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. You think about that. It was verses 1 through 3. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, I think. Salvation comes when we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins. That's what Peter's saying us there. Look at what we've been given when we chose to accept Christ as our Savior. Verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And listen to what he says. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Listen to what he says. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall never be, neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Verses 4 through 8, I mean, to me, that's the desired growth that each believer is responsible for. I've got a responsibility. It's my responsibility to grow. If I'm going to grow, it's my responsibility to grow. And, but God said he wants us to be partakers of his divine nature. And here, you know, go back and read that verse. If you look at that, to me, this is what it says. It says, to move forward in godliness and move farther away from worldliness. That's what he wants. He wants us to move closer to him and farther away from what, this, from what these worldly standards are that we're living around every day. So, and in verse 8, he says, if we seek godly things, he'll increase us in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I say praise his holy name. But listen to what verse 9 says, and I'm going to quit. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. Listen to this. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his sins. To me, this is the struggling believer. This is the believer that hadn't got a hold of the Lord, that he hasn't gotten a hold, he or she, hasn't gotten a hold of what God has for him, doesn't understand the, the, the passion that God has to share all these things with them, and they're struggling, they're just getting by, they don't have any faith in God to guide them and to grow them. I mean, to me, that's sad. That's real sad. I'll quit there.